0: Welcome to the Transform Physiques podcast. I am your host, Coach Steebell. I've spent over a decade in the fitness industry and transformed the physiques and lives of hundreds of individuals. My passion for public speaking and educating others has led me to release this podcast. Over the coming episodes, I will speak about training, nutrition, mindset, and anything else encompassing physique development. Stay tuned and let's get started. So, welcome to the first YouTube podcast. Uh, today, we have Danny Bosworth on, and we are talking about female fat loss, menstrual cycle considerations, and then kind of what is sustainable fat loss and outlining how we might approach that. So, I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay. So, Danny, how are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm really well. Thank you. Um, so, you recently had COVID?
1: Yeah, how's, I did. How's yeah, the recovery
0: process? Awesome
1: um well yeah I was literally bed bound with it and um I've got back into training pretty much straight away but initially I couldn't even finish CrossFit workouts like my lungs were just not capable and my chest felt so tight so I was having to finish workouts early and felt nowhere near as fit as what I did pre-Covid but I'm gradually getting back into things now and I'm finally finishing workouts again um and starting to feel a little bit more like myself
0: Oh, good. I think it's one of them that I've seen it with quite a few clients that have had it. It's difficult to gauge what impact it has because everyone just reacts so differently to it, don't they? Some people have messaged me and like, I feel totally fine. And other people are taking potentially weeks or months to actually recover from it.
1: Yeah, exactly. There was a big group of us at the gym who all got it at the same time. And everyone's been quite different in terms of how they've responded. But we've all found that our levels have taken a little bit of a hit since we've been back
0: yeah i imagine obviously doing something like crossfit you, you would notice that potentially more than you would resistance training in a way well definitely yeah, definitely <laughs> yeah right so we'll get started with the podcast if you want to give everyone just kind of a little overview about maybe your training history what you do as a coach and um and then we'll go from there
1: yeah sure so i'm danny for those of you who don't know Um, I've been working in the fitness industry since 2015 now I started as a one-to-one personal trainer and then moved online at the end of 2018 and I started off doing purely as an athlete myself hypertrophy training Um, which most people do to be honest I think when they start off in the gym Um, and I decided to compete in 2016 so I spent 2016 to 2020 competing in bodybuilding in the bikini class my training was all hypertrophy training and obviously cardio when I needed it during a contest prep and then after 2020 I transitioned away from competing in bodybuilding and my training now Majority consists of crossfit and olympic lifting with the odd hypertrophy session over the week and that hypertrophy session is mainly just glutes and hamstrings yeah. with, a, with a little bit of like rid outs for injury prevention and things like that
0: yeah no that's cool how have you actually found that transition in terms of um performance in crossfit do you think that the two translate well to each other or has it been like a total change in in everything
1: so there's certain things that bodybuilding gives you a little bit of an advantage because movements such as the squat, deadlift, um, strict press, you already, well, a lot of bodybuilders will have done at some point all, they'll yeah. have developed the strength to be able to do those to a decent level. So it's great because you've got that baseline strength and then you've just got to sort of build on your fitness levels learn the gymnastics and kind of just get used to getting your body into certain positions which you won't have gotten to before so the hardest thing for me was you'll know when you're bodybuilding, you only really press within your active range of motion so you'll press like from your about your ears ish for most people um whereas when it comes to crossfit and the olympic lifts you have to do push press jerk um stroke press all from your chest so it's getting used to being able to get into those positions um yeah. which you haven't really been in before really
0: yeah no that's cool um and in terms of your coaching sort of accolades and where you're at with that were you predominantly bodybuilder-esque focused back then and you transitioned away from that or is it very much a case of you are still coaching competitive athletes
1: Yeah so I'd say at the moment I've probably got about 50% competitive clients who compete in the bikini class or figure and 50% non-competitors and what I'm trying to do now to be honest is transition more towards coaching non-competitors and promoting more of a a health-focused approach to fitness and training and changing your body composition as opposed to pushing to the extreme of stepping on stage because as you'll know, pushing to that extreme of stepping on stage comes with um sacrificing your health and it very much consumes your life if you wish to bring the very best version of yourself to the stage. Um and I now just want to promote a slightly more sustainable health-focused approach to the process. Um but yeah, I still love coaching. The girls that step on stage that are currently under my wing, I will continue to coach. Yeah. But I'm not taking on new competitors. And if I take on new clients, um, ideally, I want those to be non-competitors and to, right. to promote what sort of value at the moment. Um, But yeah, and I'm currently doing my strength and conditioning course as well.
0: Okay, great. No, I think that'll be really good because we will touch in the podcast, like we mentioned outlining a more sustainable approach. So I think given the fact that you've kind of been there and done that with both approaches and from a coaching standpoint as well, um, yeah, it'll make for a good conversation. So we will get to that towards the end of the podcast. Initially, I just want to dive into kind of things that common issues that we see with females in relation to fat loss. So is there any sort of standout points that you see kind of not across the board with all clients, but a kind of right, constant repetitions that maybe creep up with a lot of females when they are seeking fat loss
1: yeah i think one of the major issues is females seem to focus way too much on their scale weight and individual weigh-ins as opposed to looking for trends over extended periods yeah um and i'm sure we'll touch on this soon but like you'll know over the course of the menstrual cycle and due to so many different other reasons, your scale weight will fluctuate on a daily basis. So I think women tend to see those fluctuations and get disheartened very easily when if they looked for trends over extended periods from month to month, yeah. they would be much more motivated and they would give themselves more credit for their progress. Do you see the same thing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's funny because when you say that, I say it all the time to clients and check-ins. I'm like, we're, we're monitoring body weight daily to monitor trends over time. We're not monitoring it to see, was there a loss from the day before? It's literally gathering that amount of data that we can then put that into like a spreadsheet or however we want to view it and see what is that trend over the course of the months. And like you say, in relation to mental cycle as well, um, it is definitely something I see. And I think sometimes females, they can become obsessed with scale weight, maybe potentially more than males. I don't yeah. really know the the reasons why to that. But um, I think sometimes when I say to a female, right, we're gonna weigh every day, it is trying to make shift that mindset as to, it's literally just to gather data. It's not to analyze, are we lighter than the day before? If that makes sense. Yeah,
1: exactly. And if I have clients that really, really struggle with that, And they just can't detach themselves from it i'll just remove their scale weight because it's not the be-all and end-all and obviously we as coaches can see changes in their body composition visually anyway and progress using other data so if someone has a really negative relationship with the scale i'll usually just like remove it
0: yeah yeah no i i totally agree and I, i say that to clients as well it's it's just one metric of like a bigger picture you've got body composition performance hunger we've got all these biofeedback markers as well as body weight um but yeah there's much more to go off than like you say just scale weight so if it is removed it's 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 not really a problem and it's obviously for some people it's actually a benefit so which which is obviously good yeah um in terms of what you've seen when clients initially come to you have you found that females will over restrict themselves and that essentially means that they will binge more often and then lead to like an unsuccessful fat loss phase because they've tried to be too restrictive if that makes sense yeah
1: definitely and I think there's sort of there's sort of two different sides to this there's the people that they try to over restrict and they genuinely think that they're on like 1200 calories for example but they're just subconsciously consuming like snacking between meals or not tracking their coffees and having a really calorie dense like latte or something Um, and calories are sneaking in without them noticing and then on the other end of the spectrum there's clients that come to us maybe trying to restrict so much that they can't sustain that and then when it gets to for example a weekend or the end of the week they end up over-consuming A lot of food and an excessive amount of calories to the point it counteracts the rest of the week and those people are maybe aware that they're doing that they're aware of those calories whereas the other group of people aren't aware of it they don't realize that they're consuming those extra calories so there's kind of two different problems that there's the people that are aware of it and just need to wrap their heads around the fact that it would be better for them to follow higher calories consistently to create that calorie deficit so that they're not over consuming at the weekend and then there's a group of people that need to acknowledge the fact they are consuming extra calories without realizing it and identifying where those calories are coming from so that they can remove those calories and create a deficit.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I see that very much in practice as well. I think with people that potentially they'll use my fitness pal for the solid meals that they do eat during the day. And like you say, the snacks that go in between, it's as if they didn't really happen. And I'll say to someone on the check in, maybe, you know, have you logged everything that you've consumed? Well, yeah, apart from, and it's like, okay, well, them apart from is actually contributing to quite a lot of calories. And this is potentially why we're not seeing uh, much shift. But
1: yeah not and absolutely. one thing i see i don't know if you see this as well some people on my fitness pal they'll wait until the end of the day to track their food for that day yeah and if someone does that they're not going to remember every little thing that they put inside their mouth and the exact quantities of that food yeah so that's a really common problem and i'll usually catch clients out with that because i'll go onto their my fitness pal at halfway through the day and be like look you've not logged anything for today so I know that you get into the end yeah. of the day and then log in that day and you're probably yeah. going to miss things accidentally if you do that
0: yeah no definitely and I think just while we're on the topic of my fitness pal and kind of tracking calories have you ever kind of had pushback from clients where they may say to you I don't want to become obsessed with counting food I don't want to be obsessed with counting calories because I've had that in a couple of situations but um I'd just like to hear your take on what do you do around that situation? Obviously, I know what I do, but just from you know what what do you do in that situation?
1: Yeah, it depends on the client. And I have got a couple of clients that don't track their food on my fitness pal. And instead, what I do is I give them points to hit. So like on their tracking document, they'll have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then at the top, they'll have points which I want them to tick off. So it will be like four servings of protein throughout the day, a serving of fruit or veg with each meal, um, eating mindfully, making conscious decisions, moving consciously um, and, you know, just making conscious decisions around food, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how we create a calorie deficit. We just need to make sure that we're consuming less than we're expending. Yeah. So, it's possible to lose body fat without tracking. It's just obviously hard because you're not honoring what you really want because your body's probably going to want to eat to around maintenance. You've got to consciously sort of have an element of, of restraint and um, obviously create that calorie deficit by removing calories or increasing expenditure. And it's very difficult to do that without the accountability of tracking,
0: Yeah. but it
1: is possible. So with some people, I'll try not doing it. Um. With other people, I'll sort of take a middle ground approach of maybe having a target calorie range rather than individual macros. So they've got a bit more yeah. flexibility. They maybe won't track their veg. Um. They might have a couple of days a week where they don't track just to give them a bit of a mental break, but where they use their tracking days as... um a reference point so they know how much they should be consuming there's lots of different approaches but yeah it depends on the individual really and um sometimes it's just a case of spending time out of a deficit with the client before going into a fat loss phase
0: it's just come back on now
1: right okay where did you (laughs) get what happened where did you get
0: you started going in really slow motion and talking like you were ridiculously drunk or something. So the slowing of the internet. <laughs> I was just about to um, message you. Um,
1: which, what? Where did I start to like slow down on? What was I saying?
0: So I heard up to um, where your approach with some clients maybe potentially to track during some days and then give some days off, um, just to allow that little bit of downtime, a little bit of mental break.
1: Yeah.
0: And then sometimes you may escalate calories. To be around about maintenance before you drop into a calorie fit uh, calorie calorie deficit yeah. fat loss phase,
1: right? Okay, cool.
0: Um, Yeah, and I think that's something that I've actually noticed myself this week because I finished prep a week ago, um, finished prep early because I just had too much going on to kind of commit, and I've bulk prepped some of my food. So I bulk prepped four meals worth of uh, mint with beans and stuff like that in it. So I knew that was four meals, but I've had three. And now it's empty. So it's like, even though I've been tracking for so long and I know what 200 grams of mints looks like, unless I'm weighing it, I'm going to be out with it. And to me, I've thought to myself each day, I've had 200 grams of mints. Well, I haven't. I've had 250. And it's things like that. I think that when you are tracking calories, it just gives you that, it gives you a little bit more knowledge and a little bit of certainty of what you are eating is what you think, if that makes sense.
1: Definitely. And I think that... A lot of people, it just teaches them so much. Like if you've never tracked your calories before and you don't have that awareness of what 100 grams of chicken looks like or what a serving of rice looks like, it's so easy to be so off with that. And especially with hyper palatable foods, foods that you really enjoy, you're gonna probably wanna consume more than a serving size or more than what fits your requirements when it comes to calories. So I think for most people, it can be really useful to spend at least a period of time tracking. That's not to say that they need to rely on it for the rest of their lives, but it can be a really useful tool and a really educational tool as well to utilize for at least a period of time.
0: Yeah, I think that that is definitely something I do see with people that potentially haven't used something like MyFitnessPal. And they'll start within the first couple of days and getting messages like, oh my God, have you seen how many calories in a chocolate digestive? And I'm like, yeah, no, put the packet down <laughs> or at least limit yourself uh, and, be you know, conscious of, of high calorie foods. Like you say, if it is highly palatable, potentially them foods as well are going to have really low satiety and you are going to want more of them. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a different, different topic for another podcast, maybe. Um, so in terms of the opposite side of limiting intake, do you ever find that clients will come to you that just have a ridiculously high expenditure? Maybe they're doing just in far in excess of what's required in terms of steps, cardio, and resistance training, and potentially creating that low energy availability by excessive output?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, obviously, in that situation, the goal is to increase someone's calorie intake, decrease their expenditure, take as much stress off of their body and off their mind as well, because like psychological stress can have an impact on menstrual cycle function and menstrual cycle regularity so yeah. it's important to address that as well as like the physical um but yeah the goal would be to obviously creep their their intake up and decrease their expenditure often those people can really struggle psychologically with that but one of the things that I use to sort of reassure them is just reminding them the priority if their goal is like to improve their body composition is their resistance training performance. And if they're doing the amount of expenditure that they're currently doing and they're not eating enough, they're not going to be performing as well as they possibly could. So they're going to get better results, even from a body composition perspective, if they increase their, their intake or decrease their expenditure so that they can perform better and recover better because you can only adapt positively to a training stimulus that you can actually recover from. So I think reminding them of that helps their motivation to actually continue with that process, which can be really difficult psychologically initially.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I've had some clients in a similar situation where it's just the, the level of output is so high that, and I think what I have seen is at some point that client will just become completely demotivated so obviously just in an overtrained state where they lose all interest for the gym, they don't want to do any exercise and they could potentially go the polar opposite way where they do nothing and eat loads of potentially not the best food. And that leads to kind of yo-yo dieting, I guess. And um, that's kind of a bad situation for for people to get themselves in.
1: Definitely. And another point for those people as well, who maybe are overexpending and under eating to the point they're in that state of low energy availability and, their hormone function is not the best that impaired hormone function will be impairing their progress as well. Um, as you know, when you have like low estrogen or even low testosterone for a females normal, it's going to negatively impact someone's response to resistance training. So if they can get their, their hormone function into a, a better place, that will positively impact their progress as well. So that can be sort of a motivation for those people to endure that process, which might be difficult initially.
0: No, absolutely. I totally agree. So while we're on that topic of hormones, just we'll touch on this briefly because obviously we could talk about this probably at length, but have you seen in practice that hormonal birth control will impact body composition either in a negative or a positive way? Because personally, I have seen uh, the depot injection, the progesterone only, I have seen that quite often relate to limited fat loss or at least limiting fat loss to a point. Is that something that you've noticed in practice, or or not really?
1: Yeah, there's obviously the research on birth control is so mixed. Yeah. Um, the one that there is some evidence to support the fact it might impair fat loss is the um, depot injection, so the progesterone only shot. Yeah. Um. And I've definitely seen, I've not actually had a lot of clients on that. I've got one client in prep at the moment that's on it and she doesn't have any issues with it, right. but I've seen other people have issues with it. And that's a really important point because hormonal birth control affects everybody differently. Yeah. So I think what's really important for people to do is monitor their response and their trends over the course of a cycle and, do what's right for them as an individual rather than looking at maybe what other people are doing um, or even looking at the research because the research is so mixed. So you aren't really going to find any solid answers there anyway. Yeah. So what would be better to do is just monitor your own response to certain birth control or um over the monthly cycle, if you're not on hormone or birth control and then make adjustments where necessary. Yeah. So if you're, experiencing issues and you're on the depot injection could come off the depot injection because that's probably not appropriate for you
0: yeah no I totally agree I think that's something that I do get a lot of females ask me you know is is my birth control potentially impacting things and it is difficult like you say because the research is so mixed that you can pull out one study and you're like yeah definitely if you're taking a depot injection You can't lose fat. And you can pull out another one that says, no, it doesn't make any difference. So like you say, it's an individualist response to to these things. So I have had quite a few clients that are potentially on one hormonal birth control. They'll go and consult with a doctor and they'll change it. And all of a sudden, results do seem to speed up. Now, whether that is in direct correlation with that change or potentially other factors, obviously there's so much goes into physique development. But
1: Yeah, and um, if you're having issues as well, like don't ignore it. There's so many women that are like, I'm bleeding really frequently but it must just be my implant or it must just be the coil like if you're having issues go and get it checked out or change it and try something else don't just ignore it
0: yeah no (laughs) definitely definitely it's um like I have seen that as well people say I've I've bled three times this month say okay please go and see your doctor about this and have that discussion because that that's not a normal situation to be in um no I definitely agree there so if we move on to how the menstrual cycle could potentially impact fat loss you know whether that's directly or indirectly um what are some sort of general things that you see either in practice or that you know in science in the literature of around menstrual cycle and fat loss
1: so it's more likely to impact the data that you might use during a fat loss phase as opposed to actual fat loss um and that's usually what messes with people's heads a little bit so obviously over the course of a menstrual cycle you might see varying degrees of inflammation and water retention you might see some issues with digestion at certain periods of the cycle Um, and you might some people might see impaired training performance as well but Again, everyone's different. Everyone's cycle is different in length and also in terms of how it affects them. Some people get really bad PMS. Other people don't struggle at all. Some people will see like heightened hunger in the late luteal phase. Other people won't see that at all. And again, I think the most important thing for women to do is track their cycle and how they feel during each phase of the month. And then that will give them an awareness of when they might experience heightened hunger if they see a massive dip in their performance and therefore they might consider deloading in a given week of the cycle. Um, But it's really important not to, I think a lot of people get caught up in this mindset of thinking, "Oh, I'm going to be hungry in this period of the menstrual cycle and then they expect that to happen and it almost becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where that expectation leads to the experience as opposed to them actually being really hungry. Like I don't, so I probably suffer with it a little bit for a couple of days, but it's nothing crazy, the hunger side of things. Um, But I do get the inflammation in the late luteal phase quite badly. I also have PCOS. So that contributes to that. But um, what I'm trying to say is everyone's different. So, log your menstrual cycle log your feelings and your bodily changes log your scale weight alongside that and then once you've done that for a couple of months you'll know the trends that you experience and then you'll know to expect them and then you can cater for them whether that's maybe increasing calories by a couple of hundred at a certain time of the month when you get that heightened hunger whether that's running a deload because you see a a massive impairment in your training performance, you can adjust to your cycle, but there's no point in doing all of these things when they're not necessary. Like why would you, if your goal is fat loss, why would you increase calories and decrease the size of the deficit that you're in? if you don't need to do that, like if you don't get that hunger, there's no point.
0: If if you just think that, oh, that's what's going to happen, so I'll just do this. But again, that exactly what you've just said there. That comes back to what we discussed at the start as as trends over time. If we've gathered that data for, I don't know, two, four, six months, that individual is going to know, okay, I experienced zero change in appetite, in hunger, in performance, that whole cycle, or potentially I do experience it and it's around this time. And then obviously you can put... Preventative measures in, but only once you know that their measures are necessary. Because, like you say, I think I have got two clients that they train together, um, and one female, she will eat at maintenance during the late luteal phase, purely because appetite just goes through the roof and she can't seem to control that. So, allowing that heightened calorie amount obviously sets up for a successful fat loss phase. The, The other girl that she trains with isn't in that situation, she's absolutely fine throughout, but then I was PTing them the other day and they say, well, are oh, her calories go up at the end of the month or like at this time of the month, should I increase mine? And it's like, no, you don't need to, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but again, it comes back to individual response. Everyone's going to be so different.
1: Yeah, and for that client as well, who doesn't struggle so much, it's great because she can just take advantage of being in a bigger deficit and her to increase her calories if she doesn't feel the need to.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you found in maybe with yourself or with clients that it does tend to be the late luteal phase where appetite will be skewed, performance will be skewed, and that's kind of the only place or do you find that sort of carries on into uh, menstruation as well?
1: I find that the most common thing that I've seen, I think, is increased hunger in the late luteal phase and sometimes um, impaired training performance.
0: Yeah.
1: But again not with everybody some people i found some clients get a bit of um increased hunger around ovulation as well
0: okay. but
1: again everyone's different and um i would just if i was a uh, any female listening to this who is interested just log your menstrual cycle quite meticulously you can even take your temperature first thing in the morning every morning to log um the the rises that you get and see when you're ovulating in your cycle as well um and that's a really useful pe- thing for people to do who are trying to regain their cycle after having amenorrhea because yeah. if you go from not ovulating to ovulating regularly even if you aren't getting a bleed that's a sign of progress and you can measure that through um logging your temperature and seeing those fluctuations over the course of a month.
0: Well, that's good because uh I can I can definitely implement that with at least three clients I can think off the top of my head that are coming back from from that state of being an amenorrhea area that maybe it was caused by potentially being on birth control for too long without taking appropriate breaks or things like that. Um, But yeah, that isn't something that I've actually ever tried to track, but that's good to know, because obviously I can actually implement that as well, so you would find that body temperature will increase around ovulation.
1: Yeah literally a tiny increase it's not much all can't remember the exact figure but it's it's tiny so i would just log that over the course of your cycle yeah and if you see those fluctuations in temperature um it's a good sign that you are ovulating um and yeah it's interesting
0: that's really good yeah it's it is one of them that there's so much that we're always learning i'm just taking a course at the minute actually i don't know if you have you heard of it have you heard of sam miller he does similar Science. He's got like a podcast and runs educational courses. He's an American guy. And um, I'm just doing a biofeedback boot camp with him at the minute. And honestly, it's brilliant. Like he's he does like a model of shreds um to do like sleep hunger hormones, et cetera, and how they all impact each other. And um, it is so interesting because a lot of the time it's information that we already know, but you know, when it's just presented in a different way something just clicks and you're like, oh yeah, that's clear that you know, on a diagram that impacts that. And it's it is good to um so I keep learning. So yeah.
1: No, but that's really cool.
0: It is really good. I'll um I'll send you the slides once I finished it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we will move on to outlining sort of a more sustainable approach to fat loss. Um, it's not something that I specifically coach people to do in general. I mean, I will to a point, obviously, if that's what the client kind of needs. But for the most part, people that come to me are people that want to get in shape in maybe a set time frame. So, I think it'd be good to hear your experience of you've been, you've been in both situations where you've got people in shape in a short time frame, or is it a more sustainable approach to this person's needs? And how do we go about setting that up?
1: Yeah. So, again, it depends on the person. And for the record, there's nothing wrong with like aggressive fat loss, and there's nothing wrong with unsustainable fat loss. For example, if you're running a competition prep or like doing a photo shoot prep, your fat loss is probably going to be unsustainable because you want to regain body fat afterwards for health. And that's not a problem. Um, But if you are someone that wants to get to a body composition where you're comfortable and you can actually sustain that year round, you probably want to think about making sure that your protocols are sustainable long term because you can't just get to the end of this fat loss phase and revert back to your previous habits and expect to maintain the end result. So that's where it's important. If you actually want to sustain a body composition year round, for example, I've been at maintenance now for, for months, probably since about February, January, something like that. Um, and I haven't been able to maintain by reverting back to like my previous improvement season, yeah. my yeah. expenditure is still decent um my habits from a nutrition perspective are i'm flexible but i'm also mindful and i don't eat like an arsehole and i obviously don't eat yeah. a sip but otherwise i'd gain body fat yeah. so you have to consider that if you want to get to a sustainable endpoint. so for some people they might take the approach of of tracking their food As a rough idea, they could use something like the Harris-Benedict equation to give them a rough idea of their maintenance. And then if their goal is fat loss, they could subtract a few hundred calories from that, add in a bit of cardio, increase their steps slightly. And that would give them a sort of um, a good figure to start with for a sustainable fat loss phase, which is going to be quite steady and not too aggressive so that they can actually sustain that end point. And then what I would just do is monitor their response if they start to plateau. So if we've not seen any changes from a fat loss perspective for a good few weeks, as a female, you want to leave it a good few weeks because of these changes throughout the menstrual cycle, which might mask progress. Um, If they haven't seen any changes for a good few weeks, then we'd make a small adjustment. That might be dropping food by 100 calories per day, might be adding in a little bit of cardio. And then you just continue that process until you reach your end goal, a point where you're happy. And then you're going to reverse quite slowly out of that if you want to maintain your end product. Yeah. Whereas after a competition prep, you'll know you might see a big increase in food and quite a big decrease in expenditure just to restore health as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah. But if literally what I'm doing right now. So yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: But if you've done like a more sustainable fat loss phase. It's not really necessary because you've not got to the point where you're seeing negative health effects. Yeah. So you can be much more gradual in that post-diet phase and you can maybe increase calories by a couple of hundred to start with and then go from there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, with a sustainable fat loss phase, you've just got more room for flexibility. And like, I've got a client at the moment, she's sort of pursuing fat loss, but she's not tracking her food. And if, for example, one day she's got, a wedding or like a big social occasion and she makes a decision on that day to eat at maintenance, it's fine. It's not the end of the world because her goal is long-term sustainable fat loss. So she still wants to maintain a social life and be able to be flexible. So as long as on those occasions, it's a conscious decision and she accepts responsibility for the fact that fat loss is going to be slower as a result of her eating at maintenance maintenance on that day, then that's okay. Whereas someone with an end goal, say they're doing like an eight week fat loss phase or a 12 week prep, they haven't got room to make those decisions. So they're going to have to be much more extreme with their approach.
0: No, definitely. There's a couple of things that I just wanted to pick up on there of what you've said. So where you've mentioned that you've been in a maintenance phase for X period of time, A lot of the time, I think when I've conversed with clients and we'll say, okay, we're gonna drop into a maintenance phase, this means we can actually increase calories, maybe a diet break, if you wanted to call it that, for potentially a week or two. And the kind of pushback I tend to get is, oh, so I'm not losing fat anymore, but I'm not gaining muscle, Like I'm just maintaining. And I think sometimes it's that feeling of being kind of stagnant, even though they're not, there's obviously reasons why we're doing this maintenance phase, but I think that comes back to Kind of the client understanding the overall picture and the long-term goal. And it's not just we will drive you into the ground until you're done. It's um it's that maintenance phases are fine uh, as long as, like you say, it's a conscious decision and we know why we're doing that, whether it's for health or for a psychological break.
1: Yeah, definitely. And like you've got to see the if you're wanting sustainable results over the long term, maintenance is a really important skill to master yeah um because like for example if someone goes on holiday if they've mastered maintenance they're going to be able to maintain the progress that they've made so far whereas if someone went on holiday they've never been at maintenance before they really struggle with holding that they're either at one end of the spectrum where they're in a massive surplus or the other where they're in a massive deficit then they're going to go on holiday at the end of a fat loss phase and gain a lot of body fat which they've worked really hard to lose so maintenance is a really important skill which will serve you really, really well if you want long-term success. And I yeah. think people sort of they they forget that and they don't see its importance. Yeah. Um, and you can also succeed with progressing with your training performance and building muscle tissue whilst roughly at maintenance.
0: Yeah.
1: I've seen massive training performance progress whilst I've been at maintenance. So you can definitely progress. You don't have to be in a surplus to progress with that. Obviously you're going to see more muscle tissue gains if you're in a surplus. That's a fact. Um, but you can still see some hypertrophy progress whilst at maintenance. Yeah. I definitely have in some areas, even though my training has not been hypertrophy training, I've definitely in some areas seen some muscle tissue growth whilst I've been hanging around maintenance. Yeah. Um, and some of that might purely come from like if you've been in a fat loss phase for a long time you might regain some of the muscle tissue which you may be lost in that fat loss phase when you're at maintenance mm-hmm. and it's also a chance to set yourself up for the next phase like if you've been in a fat loss phase for a long time it gives you a mental break it allows you a bit more flexibility with food um it takes some stress off of your body so that you are maybe more responsive next time you go into a fat loss phase or when yeah. you go into a surplus um and yeah it can be a t- if you're in a surplus and you want to break that up it can be a chance to give your digestive system a bit of a break before you push up again um there are so many different sort of purposes for it and like another thing there's nothing wrong with being happy with where you're at like I'm kind yeah. of happy with my body composition at yeah. the moment, so I don't really feel the need to be in a massive surplus and gaining maximal muscle tissue. Because do you find that really- that
0: is that's so rare, though? It is so rare because that I've I've had a couple of clients. I think I can think of two in kind of the past twelve months that have said to me, "I'm going to stop the coaching process now. I'm happy with my physique where it is, and I know how to maintain this." and when I got their messages, like most people think, are like, well, you've just lost the client, but I was so happy. I was like, this person's genuinely, they're made up with where they are. They don't wanna get any bigger. They don't wanna get any leaner. They know how to sustain this. So I've done my job properly and they can genuinely go forward being happy. Like I can take myself as an example. I'm probably never going to be happy with my own body because I always want something more um, just by nature of being a bodybuilder. But, and that's a sad fact to be honest, but um, yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. If if you're happy with where you are, what, what could be better? It's perfect.
1: Yeah. And there's so many, like I was always, when I was competing, I, I don't think I was ever like satisfied with my body, but now I am at a place where I'm happy. So, there's no need for me to be in a fat loss phase. There's no need for me to be in a surplus. So maintenance is where I need to be. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think people, they almost think that they need to be either in a surplus and pushing for hypertrophy or in a deficit and pushing for fat loss, but they never take a moment to just actually sit where they are and appreciate how far they've come and be really happy in their own skin and enjoy life a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And like you say, as well, from the standpoint of gaining muscle tissue, when you look at the data, the surplus needed is like 200 calories. So, and obviously being at maintenance, you can still grow at maintenance. So I think, but I'm exactly the same, a prime example of I'll push calories and probably end up in like a 1500 calorie day surplus. Realistically, I'm probably just getting fat, but I think I'm getting huge, but I'm not. But um, I think that is something to bear in mind. And as well, like you say, if you're at maintenance, body composition might not shift massively. You're happy with how that is. You're still seeking performance benefits. It's not like you're just thinking, this is just me done. Like obviously by nature of how you are and you want to progress, you want to get fitter, you want to get stronger. Um, I guess progression doesn't always have to be related to body composition.
1: Exactly. And it's, I think it's really important when people are seeking body composition related progress, To also give themselves credit for other elements of the process, like improving their health, improving their performance, um, getting fitter, you know, being able to manage social occasions better. There are so many other elements of the process that they can give themselves credit for progress with. And it's really important to recognize that because then one day when you maybe don't have a body composition goal anymore, you won't feel lost because you already give yourself credit for those elements of the process and being process focused will serve people so well, like long-term because of that reason, because then they won't feel like, oh, who am I if I'm not pursuing fat loss or who am I if I'm not building muscle tissue? Like there's more to life than just manipulating your body composition.
0: No, definitely. Definitely. I totally agree. And I think as well, just kind of circling back around to sustainable fat loss, and the time taken for that is outlining to people that I, I have people come to me and they'll say, right, I, I want to lose body fat, I want to lose two stone in 10 weeks, but I want to do it sustainably. And it's like, okay, the two don't really correlate. And I think that's kind of comes back to outlining to them, them individuals that maybe think that that if you do want rapid fat loss, there does have to be a certain strict adherence. And it, it is difficult potentially for some people. But if you do want a sustainable approach that is sustainable. You can't expect rapid results. So I think sometimes people may get confused by, being, they'll see stuff on Instagram, like don't limit foods you like. Well, that doesn't mean go and eat three pizzas. It just means don't limit foods you like, you know, it's coming back to I think to helping that person manage their goals, if that makes sense.
1: Definitely. And I'll usually sort of phrase things to clients like, you know, your actions are your own decision. So, You can either adhere to your targets and see a faster rate of loss, or you can choose to overeat and you'll see a slower rate of loss. As long as you hold yourself accountable for that, that's fine. It's your decision. You choose whether you want a faster rate of loss or a slightly slower rate of loss and we will adjust your protocols as necessary based on what your goal is.
0: No. Yeah, I I totally agree, definitely. I think that crops up a lot, specifically just coming out of lockdown, that people are socialising a bit more, festivals have come back on, people are going out drinking, things like that. And it's, i get a message out, I'm going to a festival for three days this weekend, what's the best thing to drink? And I'm like, I can't specifically (laughs) advise for that, unfortunately, but just know that your actions there will impact your results. So as long, like you say, as long as they understand that, and they are holding themselves accountable to if i do x it'll produce this result then then that's kind of all we can do as coaches i think is outline and make sure that's clear to that person if uh yeah yeah well that was really good i think that we can stop it there um and it was great to have you on it was really good i think Thank that we'll definitely have you again definitely have you again at some point um maybe go into a bit of a deeper dive into certain topics that we've mentioned today um if if that'll be good with you
1: yeah, that's cool with me. I'm well up for it.
0: Okay, great. That's brilliant. Thanks, Danny, and I shall see you soon.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, that is all for today's episode. Thank you for listening along. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at coach underscore Steve Bell, and I shall speak to you all soon.